Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale, sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings and welcome to a special episode of Monsteropolis. Uh, you can listen to Monsteropolis on all your favorite podcatchers as well as, most to, sh- to Mark's shock, I can't open this. I don't know why I'm trying. I'm not uh, shocked by that. Much to... <laughs> Much to Mark's shock, uh, 97.1 FM. Oh, yeah. Here that was a surprise. Wadsworth, Ohio. Well, I think at one point I told you we were going off the air. Yes. And nice. then I just never addressed it again. Okay. I mean, <laughs> but, I even changed the Twitter I know, and everything. I saw, I saw. And then I don't think I ever told you we didn't. <laughs> oh, by the way. We just stayed. <laughs> Nothing ever happened. Oh, Nothing well. Changed. I'll explain why. Nothing changed after we... Or off the air, if you if you remind me, okay, I can explain it. I should probably not talk about it on the air. So that that's um, <laughs> terrestrial radio and streaming, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, terrestrial radio and streaming. Um, yeah, we're we're uh, you can and, stream Wadsworth twenty four seven. It's like you were there. Yeah, living we're here. There. <laughs> uh, they they have someone listening in Buckingham Palace. Remember they tell us. About oh yeah, this every time we're mm-hmm. there. Um. Yeah, it's the been a queen. while. I haven't it, been. Yeah, it's the queen herself. <laughs> Pining for the days when she was yeah. like, mere youth. Man, Wadsworth, I'm, Ohio. I'm, I miss those days. The old days where I could sit down for a pint, listen to 97.1 FM on the radio. God blimey. Everyone just tuned out. We lost. <laughs> we just lost every single listener. Um, so... What should we talk about before we get into the theme of the show? Anything? Uh, you know what? I, one thing I don't know that I really talked about enough last week was how well your son did with his first oh my. solo film shoot. And I don't know if he's talked to, about it with you at all. But um, so Andy went with us to shoot. We talked about that on, mm-hmm. on the show. Andy went with us to shoot uh, the Mark of the Bell Witch, which I almost just called the Blair Witch Project. Um <laughs> That's Mark the, the subtitle, isn't it? Uh, and I think he got thrown into the deep end of the pool because we didn't. We I I we also said it was a very easy shoot. Like other than than Aaron's tick episode, we really didn't have anything horrible happen. But um, just an intense like amount of work. At the same time, coming off of Bigfoot, I would assume that he felt like this was a vacation. Did he say what did he? What has he said? He hated it. Oh, no, no, he didn't hate it at all. I think, yeah, probably compared to Bigfoot, it was much more controlled. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that he would be 
texting me at nine thirty and ten o'clock. We're done for the day. You know, just that in itself was a difference from the Bigfoot shoot. Just you know, by nature of what well, it there was. There was a day we were done at three. At three, wow! The tick day. No, there was a day where where we ended at, at three because we were so far from Adams. Um, our our place was in Clarksville, which was thirty five, almost forty minutes away. So we left. We had to get Aaron back to the house so he could shower and get his, get all the ticks off of him. So by the time we got back to the house, it was almost four. And then by the time he had done, he was done getting all the ticks off of him. It was like after five. Mm. And I'm like, by the time we drive back there, it's going to be six. By the time we shoot, yeah. it's going to be like eight o'clock at night. It's none of us had eaten. We were all kind of grumpy. So we just called it a day. So, I mean, it was definitely a different, what Andy probably found surprising because this would have been his first time experiencing this, I think is seeing how intensely different it is filming interviews in the on the trail of setting versus interviews in the movie setting Mm -hmm. and i people ask me well if the movies are not going to be episodic if on the trail of isn't going to be short form episodic how does it differentiate from the movies i think there's a number of ways but the biggest is on our end like Mm -hmm. behind behind the screen behind the camera is where we like you really see it and i think he would have he would have really noticed that on this shoot, because coming off of on the trail of Bigfoot, where I'm just sitting people on porches or whatever, and we're filming on this, we were like, you know, you're really you make it, you're making sure all the lighting's dialed in, the sound mm-hmm. is perfect, all that stuff. It just it's a very different experience. Um, <clears throat> so from, I st- I'm still dying. Yeah. Here, by the way, yeah. Go ahead. Did, did you take an arrowhead from I, the cave no, or something? No. <laughs> oh, it's Aaron's flint. It's, it's that flint he took. <laughs> He slipped it into your pocket yeah, or something. I've got it here somewhere. So from a director's standpoint, how did he do? I mean, was footage and stuff, did he? Yeah, the, so the the issue, I'll start with the issue. The, the issue with the footage that Aaron and Andy captured is, first of all, I'm giving them the A7 III again, which I still haven't had time to play with that camera and get to know. Mm-hmm. So they're learning. They probably know more about the camera than I do. So it's a new camera that none of us have shot with. The mm-hmm. other thing is that <clears throat> I, what is going on? <clears throat> Sorry, listeners. It's probably allergies or I'm dying. Um, the, the other thing is that they had one lens. They had a 16 to 35 lens. So they had an insanely wide lens and that's, it's the same lens he shot with on Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So they're extremely limited in what they can shoot. Cause you really like that a lens that wide, you only, you get one shot of something and you've already had a shot of something. You, you can't really like, you can zoom in on, you can move in to another, let me try to <laughs> verbalize this. Mm-hmm. You shoot a wide shot of a landscape, right? This is how we usually shoot, <clears throat> shoot our B roll. So you shoot an establishing shot and then you move in and you get a closer shot. If we have a zoom, you can just zoom. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a lens that wide, you shoot your establishing shot. All you can do is move straight forward with your camera, set it up in front of whatever you just shot and get the close up because you can't zoom. There's and no you, zoom. And you can't, you also, and once you're done with that, you're done. Like you could shoot another shot of like a, a another leaf, but everything mm-hmm. starts to look the same. So they were limited what they were shooting. Um, other than that, they did great. Like for, I, I actually just finished telling Santino, what we need to do is we, we have to have four cameras. Cause I'm used to, 
<clears throat> I'm used to shooting with a four man crew where Jason's there and Jason does sound and behind the scenes. Well, Aaron and Andy both want to shoot. So you have, you have two shooters instead of one shooter, instead of three, sh- you have four shooters instead of three. Mm-hmm. So I actually need four cameras. If it's a shoot th- that doesn't include Jason, and that doesn't, that's not an, at all a knock on Jason. That's we have someone that's actually focused on sound. The downside yeah. to losing Jason is now we're left with no one that actually their sole focus is sound. So we have to lav mic everything just to just to make sure our sound right. isn't isn't mm-hmm. a, an absolute crap show. Um, but they both, yeah, they both did real good. And and the situational stuff that they had to shoot was really difficult. So like the scenes where the, the historians were talking to each other mm-hmm. um, and they had that wide lens. So they're trying to like keep, they were trying to, I think it was mostly Andy that did the wider or the, um, the handheld stuff. They had to try to keep Zach and I off frame and Zach and I were right in there yeah. on top of, cause I was shooting real close. And so was Zach and get them both in the shot yeah. at the same time. And, and try to shoot around us. Right. So that seems like that would have been the hardest thing to do. There were moments that were very similar to uh, and on the trail. Those scenes were like shooting on the trail of, because mm-hmm. you were trying to like, we don't, I don't like to direct people like that on how to talk. It's different mm-hmm. from setting Shannon, Adam and Alex up in a shot. Cause they're, they're crew and you can kind of tell them, talk about this or talk about this. This is different because, I wanted these two guys to just talk or these three guys to just talk. So you could tell them I did on the one interview, like maybe talk about this, but for the most part, I was just trying to get them talking about different stuff. And we got some really interesting stories coming, came out of that too. So, but yeah, Andy, Andy did great all, all, all around. So the, it's the coolest thing to see this year has been the expansion of the crew. Cause we went from the crew being, Zach, Jason, and I with a rotating fourth person for a, uh, f- basically since Brandon left mm-hmm. um, to where we are now, where I think it's <clears throat> it's like Jason, Zach, me, Luke, if we need him, uh, Aaron's in if we need him, Andy's in. Yeah. Like there's, there's, a, there's a bigger cast of characters. That doesn't even include like Alexander, mm-hmm. Andrew Peterson, like right. Tyler Hall, there's other people I'm, I'm going to start bringing in this year to help film stuff too. So mm-hmm. the expanding crew Santino is going to take a much more active role, I think in the coming year as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I still have not regained my voice. Um, we're here. Okay. So we're talking about this episode is about making monsters five years of small town monsters, which is a 11 by eight, eight by 11 size book that, was uh let me think of how to say this because okay so mark maskey wrote the (laughs) i don't even know if that's true because brandon's interview was so long yeah but uh mark wrote the history the entire history of small town monsters um and uh this is i'm doing a horrible job okay let me explain what it is all right so last year we decided we wanted to do a uh, basically like a coffee table size book about the history of small town monsters. The first five years of small town monsters. Um, we had Mark sort of do a detailed history of STM going title by title along with some events um, through the last five years. Uh, we had um, inter- <coughs> interviews written with Adrian uh, Adrian. Adrian, 
Jason and Brandon. And <clears throat> I wrote the intro. And then it's also got a ton of like uh, artwork and sketches. And there's some thumbnail images in here, uh, especially like the Beast of Whitehall poster concept stuff that I don't think that's been seen outside of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a ton, yeah, just a ton of behind the scenes. I think once you're done reading it, you will have a, uh, uh, an extremely comprehensive idea of how STM worked for the last five years. The coolest thing about it to me is we did it without me being involved. So I wrote an intro that was like maybe 1500 words. I don't even know if there's that. The book is, is mostly Adrian, Brandon, Jason, and Mark. Um, so you're seeing it from other perspectives. Um, and then I think that'll be a great companion piece to the 100,000 plus word interview that Steve Bissett did with me. Cause if you want to know more about like the creative, like how I think about things, then you can read that book. So you get that. But this was an STM book, not a Seth Breedlove book. So it makes sure it made sense to have everyone else kind of tell the story. How did you approach putting your part of this together? And did we talk about going title by title or did you come up with that idea? You know, I, I think early on we talked about going title by title, just as the the idea <clears throat> kind of coalesced around the history. I mean, it just made sense that if you're doing a history, it would be we did this and then we did that, and it just suggested itself. Mm-hmm. You know, my approach to it, I think, was basically informed by a lot of behind the scenes watching. You know, on. DVD and Blu-ray and stuff like that, and getting a sense of if I were somebody who didn't know anything about the making of these films, what's the type of thing that I would want to know? And so I would try to touch on those type of uh, ideas and issues for each title and build it around that. Because for everything that's in the book, I mean, there's stuff that just never made it in for space and not really knowing how many people would be interested in a given mm-hmm. event that happened or, or <clears throat> how something unfolded. And I thought that it was, um, you know, a lot of the information gathering was from a couple different sources. One is just the stuff that I saved mm-hmm. from, like I could look up, I knew relatively where in our house to look for, let's say the um, agenda for Minerva Monster Day. Like what followed what? Yeah, yeah. So I could just go find the flyer that oh. I had kept. Or the thing that really struck me in doing the bulk of the research was how much information exists out there in the form of podcast interviews and just sort of a digital library of of interviews and information that exists, but it's all scattered. I mean, it it, it exists in a podcast interview that was recorded three or four years ago. And this was sort of going back to those sources and listening for various nuances and how something was reported back then and compiling it all into the sort of movie by movie approach that ended up in the text. I have so many questions. Legitimate. Like I really do, but like how long did it take you to put the book together? Like your, how long did it take you to put the history? Because like the, the um, the sheer volume of inane, uh, not inane, obscure history that I don't have any recollection of that you were pulling 
makes me think you were listening to hours and hours worth of podcasts. Yeah, it was. Probably, that's probably accurate. Okay. I mean, the from the time where I really started to put words down on the page till you know when I turned everything in it was probably six months mm. um, from beginning to end, and that was a lot of like you said, a lot of just pod listening, locating various films. You know, I I tried to. It wasn't like a goal of mine necessarily, but I tried to have an equal amount of information per film. So I kind of made one pass through and then looked at what do I have, like what do I have for Bray Road versus Boggy versus uh, Minerva Monster and tried to even it out if one was sort of less information wise. And I'd try to really drill down and find more about that given project. And it was out there. I mean, there's always something that could be brought into that. And uh, I think that's, that's the thing is that this is, this represents taking what's sort of scattered to the four winds and putting it into one spot for people to enjoy. How, how did you listen to interviews with like, this is Minerva. How did you, did you listen to interviews with like Alan and Jesse? Oh yeah. Did you? Yeah. How weird is that to listen to? It just, um, <laughs> It, it, it's such a time capsule yeah. because, you know, I have very vivid memories of that first year yeah. of the, the pre-production and the shooting and us talking about Minerva Monster on Sasquatch and then leading up to the, the Bigfoot conference premiere. I mean, that, that was just a very specific time. And those guys were very involved in everything. Yeah. So it, it, in a weird way, it seems natural to hear them talking about Minerva. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the big sea change that happened um, leading into the, the second shooting of, of Beast of Whitehall. Yeah. And, and that's, I think the book says as much about that as has ever been said. Yeah, you're, you're getting a very unvarnished look at the story behind i didn't know you were gonna go i i'm angry about it no <laughs> like no uh like it, i was it was surprising to read because i didn't know you were you like the direction like you would actually just put every like the actual unvarnished history of scm is is here um for me i've we've talked about it but i haven't spent much time in the last five years going back so for me i've actually been reading through and it's like reliving all the moments again, a lot of things I just forgot. Like you yeah. say you have very vivid memories. I don't from that year. I, there's moments that are captured in my mind and sometimes they come, they come back, but it's not, I, I can't place timelines anymore. The timeline of events. And it's scary. It's probably just because I'm reaching my late thirties and uh, approaching 40, but like, I, I can't, there's things I remember about the Beast of Whitehall shoot. I remember sleeping on the floor in the the second second story of <clears throat> Alan's parents' house on the first trip. But I can't recall. <laughs> there's like I can't recall mm -hmm. anything. I can't recall where people lived or like what we did, where the timeline was or what we did, schedule of events. Um, <clears throat> whereas this, I mean, it really lays out like that the of the, uh, a schedule of events that took place for each title. And so that's like, for me, this is going to be my time capsule because this is how I'll remember STM. You know, the the book that Bissette is working on, it's all from my perspective. So you're getting that flawed 
view of history, like <laughs> filtered through my weird <laughs> uh, cluttered brain. And this is not that at all. This is very like clinical and it's retelling of everything that happened. Um, what about like something, how did the chapters defer where you got into talking about shoots that you were a part of? Yeah. So like Boggy or Bray? No, I mean, that's a great, that's a great point. And just two follow-ups to the, what you were saying yeah. first. That was the single biggest challenge about the outline of my portion of the text was getting the timeline right mm-hmm. and just making sure that these are all the right dates and this is when that happened. And again, there's a digital trail for those. There's a material trail and like just going back through our own podcast history, things we've produced helped lay the groundwork for that. But the what accompanies that point is when you then sit there and look at the timeline, it's almost unbelievable how we've moved through Mm -hmm. one project, then the next one, then the next one. I mean, it's been unrelenting. There's no break in it. And so then to like pull that apart and look and see that this project was only like a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Or this one was three years ago. And it feels like... Mothman was three years ago. Yeah. It feels like a... A decade. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's, that's completely understandable given how compressed Mm -hmm. the schedule really has been because, you know, people think, well, a five-year history, what's that going to be, you know? And it turned, it's unbelievable. I mean, having lived through it and written it down, I still find myself saying it, it, I don't know. I I hate to use the word unprecedented because there, there is probably a precedent, but it just doesn't seem like I am aware of any production company doing this much work back to back to back and living to tell the tale, you know, still doing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And so I guess then to get into your, into the question that you asked, there is a difference between the stuff that I've worked on versus like Minerva Monster, for example. Maybe I have those vivid memories because I was at just a bit of a remove. I was more of an observer of Minerva Monster so it was easier to document. Mm-hmm. But when you're in like Chestnut Ridge is the perfect example. Um, we were on the shoot for that. And then I was also collaborating with you on writing the writing script. It, yeah. And it's just a whole different way of experiencing it uh, for sure. And I think that it, um, there too though, I, I really wanted this not to read as, as Mark Matsky's memoirs of small town monsters, but I wanted it to be, objective well, and like a why... film book type approach. So I tried to separate that out from the individual history of the movie and then just almost not act like I wasn't involved, but, but give yeah, it that's less. What I, I'm, I was curious because yeah. how you maintain the same voice through, mm-hmm. through those chapters where you were there. Yeah. Um, the, the interviews are, are really interesting as well because I don't know most of these, I wrote these questions and sent them to the guys and Adrian and, and uh, Jason and Brandon. And um, that's, that's been really eye opening for me because I'm not, I've never asked them this to their, most of the stuff in here you've never, I've never discussed with them. So like even Adrian's is kind of crazy to read for me because I've never seen her talk about this stuff from her perspective. So that's been really interesting. Um, uh, the, okay. So you go, you go chapter, we go title by title. Is there, when you're putting all this together, are you trying to do 
like a, is there an act structure to it or you're just chronologically recapping the entire history of that particular title? Yeah, it's, that's probably it is the, the title first, but what, I, what immediately, I mean, as soon as you get, start talking about the films, I mean, Minerva Monster is the obvious example. Not only are you talking about the filming and what went into all that and behind the scenes type stuff, but right away that movie gets picked up by the AP and is all over the United States as far as newspapers and stuff. And that's so from the very first film, it's, it's, all, it's also talking about the impact that it had culturally, that it had on the town of Minerva, because we go right from the film into Minerva Monster Day and sort of establishing that these films about small towns themselves can have an impact on the small town that far exceeded anybody's expectations. So there's sort of, there's sort of a blend, I mean, just depending on the film and what happened immediately in the wake of that, and some patterns emerge, you know, like we... we start to establish a pattern of wanting to screen these films in Canton mm-hmm. at, at the Palace Theater. And then the, the events that we uh, sponsored and put on ourselves also get sprinkled into the history as well. I mean, I think there were some especially important events that took place that are, you know, get their own page or two, you know, namely Minerva Monster Days and the International Cryptozoology Conferences also are featured parts of that history, but they're, they're fit in where um, chronologically they happened. The, um, just from a personal perspective, we talked to Sue when she got to, to our house with Andy the day that we left, or the day before we left for Tennessee, and I showed her a picture of when the four, uh, four of us went to uh, Salt Fork, and I had Mona, and uh, it, that was 2014. He looks... He's like 11 years old, right? In that photo, 2014, it's 2020. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's 11 years old. He's tiny. So <laughs> going through the book is wild because the rest of us are older and there you don't see, you see it a little bit in my co- or my, nep- my nieces and nephews yeah. too, but Andy's been more intricately involved than like my nieces or nephews. So you see him on not every shoot, but almost every shoot. And it's wild to see him go from this little kid to yeah. where he is today. You know, it's just like a, a full grown man who can beat me up. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, it's like, it, was it emotional for you? Like writing a book or did you, were you so clinical about it? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the style of writing, of course, I was always trying to adopt that objective voice, but yeah, absolutely. It's emotional. I mean, in, in a very real sense, Andy has grown up with small town monsters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now to the point of working on the films themselves, you know, using his skills. So, yeah, I think it's it, it, absolutely there's an emotional component to it. And you see, I mean, our, our the big room in our house where movies are screened and we hang out most of the time is wallpapered with STM posters and large and small, you know, and a lot of what we've accumulated on shoots and, and stuff like that is, is the, the decoration style. So it's just so much a part of our lives and being able to trace that through in a, a way that is, uh, you know, a book that presumably will have some permanence to it. 
I was really happy to have that opportunity. Did you flip through it yet? You flipped through it a little I, bit? Yeah, I've seen, I've, yeah, this is my first look at it is today as we're recording it just yeah. to see the actual flesh and blood, you know, on paper yeah, it's version pretty, of it's it. It's pretty crazy. Like yeah. I went through it. <clears throat> so I, you know, she would show me, well, also there's just something different about seeing a digital proof of something yeah. and actually holding it. Right, exactly. So to me, it's like, why, like that picture of Brandon yeah. with the, in, in Falk, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this stuff I've, you know, these are pictures I've had for years. The, most of these, I, I made a Dropbox folder and gave mm-hmm. her all the photos. So, um, a lot of this though, I hadn't looked at in a long time, oh, like yeah. the Minerva monster posters and everything, right. but the layout and everything's so great. We, yeah. I'll like ta- this. Yeah. Little Andy with his green eyed Bigfoot. Yeah. 2017. Yeah. Like what we want to do. So after seeing how great this turned out and and you know this is not a this isn't a book that we did through amazon that we literally designed the entire book ourselves uh adrian who's never designed a book did the book design i think from a design standpoint there's no faults that i see in it like the sta- the actual design of the book is great um the printing we handled ourselves we, we hired a company and did all the printing ourselves so this isn't like a print on demand thing we did a run of books, just like you would if you were starting a publishing company. And having said that, I think we are starting a publishing company because we really enjoy, <laughs> we really enjoy doing this. Um, so um, we want to do more. Now we just have to figure out what else we're going to do. There's obviously going to have to be a sequel to this because this stops at Momo, s- sort of Momo. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have every, we already have how many titles post Momo. I mean, by the end of this year, you're going to be at three more movies um, two, two more movies, uh, on the trail of UFOs. Um, it's just, you, it's hard to keep up with, but in another, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that he can even wait five years to do another book. Cause by mm-hmm. then at the title there, there has been a ramp up in additional titles per year. Um, Adrian suggested doing a companion book about on the trail of that will go more in depth of, on the, on the trail of titles. Um, you know, which, on the trail of Bigfoot and on the trail of UFOs alone could probably be a book if you really wanted to delve into like the actual mm-hmm. history of those stories. Right. But there's other stuff that we've always talked about doing like the, the case files book and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So we, we want to, we want to do more of this kind of thing. We might uh, do a for, we might print these. I don't know yet. As I've been saying there, this is really supposed to be a Kickstarter exclusive. So, you know, maybe we would repackage it in a way so it wasn't, you know, so it was still special for the backers or something. We do have a few copies that'll be left for sale on the web store, but as good as this turned out, I don't, I think we'd be stupid not to continue. Yeah. Doing yeah. It, it like really, I mean, the, the de- cover, the design of it is just super professional. It's staggering mm-hmm. that this was Adrian's first go around with that because yeah. it's just, and I think along with that, the thing that fans of STM, I think, will really, really appreciate, in addition to the behind-the-scenes photographs, is just the sheer amount of like poster art mm-hmm. and concept art and yeah. stuff that's in there. I mean, I just having flipped through it, I'm like myself wanting to just find a corner and I would flip through argue. And, and enjoy this thing because it's it has everything. I guess, like I said, in my my goal in writing was if I didn't know anything about this, what would I want to see in the book? Everything I would want to see is in this. It's really 
it's exceptional. I would argue we could do a series of books, maybe slightly smaller than this, like 100, 120 pages that we're making of, of each movie. And the reason is, we, for one thing, we have better behind the scenes or, uh, better behind the scenes fo- photography than we did on most of the early movies. So early on, it was pretty much just behind the scenes was snapping stuff on like Beast of Wild and Minerva, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just phone photos. But Jason started taking behind the scenes photographs with terror. I want to say terror. He started is where he really started taking photographs like behind the scenes stuff. So terror uh, on the trail of UFOs, Momo Mothman legacy. They all have really great behind the scenes photography to accompany it. But beyond that, this book doesn't really include hardly any of the artwork at all. So if you wanted to do a true, you know, like art of slash making of Mm -hmm. style book, think of something like terror where the movie is almost, uh, almost dictated by the art in it. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's so much we could do with a, I'll tell you what would be really cool. I'm just spitballing (laughs) right now A, a behind the scenes of Momo that would include the script. Oh like, yeah. Like we could include, you know, the back half of the book, this is the script and the first, first half is sort of like the history of the making of Momo. No doubt. With all that art, with all the photo behind the scenes photographs and everything. We and have. even like early stage script, mm-hmm. like first pass yeah. type stuff. With the so note, people could somewhere we could put in pages with the notes. Yeah. Cause we still have those somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, and you could do that with every movie because we you have could. the scripts for the narration too. I mean, but Momo would be so much cooler because you've got mm-hmm. so much script to include in there. There's just a lot we could do and it, it doesn't all have to be behind the scenes type stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd really like to finally have a chance to have a crack at those case books and right. case files stuff. I still have my list of towns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got chapters written. Yeah. I've got Flatwoods and Minerva. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Minerva or did you do Minerva? Which one of us did Minerva? I forget. I think now. it was me. I it should it should have I been you. I think it was Flatwoods. <laughs> I know, I know I have Flatwoods. I wrote I wrote Flatwoods on vacation the year that I interviewed David Floyd for On the Trail of Bigfoot. Oh wow! Because it was in the same trip that I wrote the okay. Flatwoods chapter. Yeah, the Flatwoods chapter's done. And I think Minerva's done. So we should yeah we should consider doing those at some point. Um, if you're interested in seeing us do more books. Uh, drop us a note somewhere. What final thoughts on the book? You're, I guess you're, you're writing on it and, and final thoughts oh, on seeing it. Well, writing it was, I don't know. I guess I, I would make a comparison. You know, I think I may have been either this show or last show or between shows. You talked about going on this streak of editing, you know, you come back and you've got all this footage and then you just can't help yourself, but do as much editing as you can. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess once I really got rolling on this project, it was the same thing for me, except writing, you know, like I just couldn't wait. I I'd devote X amount of time for writing per week and I couldn't wait to get back to it. You know, I would be thinking about what do I want to do with this particular product? So just the, the writing itself was a blast. And then sort of, as I alluded to before, just having the opportunity to sit down construct the timeline and then pull it apart and see, just look at each project and consider what happened on those because it just time passes quickly and we tend not to dwell on things, but to, to go back and to think about, you know, uh, just Andy and I picking Lauren Coleman up at the airport 
and then taking him to eat in Minerva, or going you know, having Linda Godfrey present her original pen and ink drawing of the Bray Road Beast. You know, just bring it out of a box and say, "Hey, look at this." Or you know, spending various times with Stan Gordon driving around the Chestnut Ridge. I mean, these are things that you tend not to actively think about necessarily on a day-by-day basis. But this gave me the opportunity to sit there and say, look at what you have been able to be a part of. And six years ago, this was not a part of your life. It's just stunning. And so it was a gift to me to be able to to do that. And I just really hope that um, those who do pick this up and read it see... um, really the love and the care that's gone into these projects and the, the kind of the little family that's sprung up around the, the projects themselves. It's, um, and I guess the, the thought that I was having on the drive down here today is that um, something that I contributed to is now part of a book that's in the world. And if you know me, then you know how meaningful that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's been my entry point into the strange and the unusual yeah. In the first place, was well, you're books. The book guy. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're the you're the intelligent one on the show. I'm the movie, the visual guy. Yeah, yeah. So just knowing that there's there's a book that I helped write that now exists, that's just in and of itself a pretty special thing. The book is 200 pages, by the way, folks. So um, there are going to be copies on the store. I I don't know what we're doing after that with this. I really do. After seeing it, I hate to just let it be a one-time thing. And at the same time, you never know, you know, if there's going to be enough of a demand to keep printing them either. So, um, if, if they go up for sale, grab one. Um, and if you back the Kickstarter, yours will be there by September 20th. Cause we are sending, uh, we, we have all the Kickstarter rewards already coming in. Um, and we are starting to talk about maybe including another book in, in this year's Kickstarter, next year's Kickstarter. So, all right, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, leave us a rating review on iTunes and find, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and send your letters to Monstropolis Mail. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.